Hello again, friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Geek Down Podcast. This is the show where two nerds sit in front of microphones and try to find the sweet spots where their fandoms intersect. My name is Jordan Ferguson. And my name is Caitlin McKinnon. And we back, and we back, and we back, and we back. If I was the sort of person who thought gunshots as, like, accentuations was funny, I'd definitely be, like, putting gunshot sounds in here. Those were fireworks, just so you know. Okay. Just so everyone knows. So no, I knew there were fireworks. Okay, well, because you, you could see the fireworks I was making with my hands. Yeah, and it's definitely the sort of moment where uh, I would definitely be throwing. If I had a gun, I'd probably shoot it in the air because I'm so excited. Because we're back, Kate. We're back. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. I mean, we we technically said that last episode, but it wasn't real because we were saying it in the past, which yes. is not the New Year. Now we are in the present. Yes. We are here. We're here. In 2017. 2017. Back to bring you all the Geek Down goodness. And there are two places primarily where you can get all the Geek Down goodness. This is episode 49 of the Geek Down podcast. And if you would like to hear any of our other 48 episodes, the best ways to do that are either soundcloud.com slash geekdownpod. Give us a little follow on there. You'll get a notification every time a new episode goes live. As well, iTunes, top right corner. Hit subscribe. New episodes will go to your device, hand delivered by Chauncey the Geek Down Internet Elf. Oh my goodness, that is just so easy. How easy is it? Thank you, Chauncey. Listen, it's a rough time of year. Holidays are over. Blue Monday is coming, apparently. Oh, is that like the worst Monday of the year? It's like when your credit card bills come in from the holidays. So it's a couple of weeks away, probably. But listen, don't add any extra stress for yourself. Just let Chauncey do it. Yeah, Chauncey, he's he's good. Chauncey is more than happy to just bring it for you every week. All he needs, and all we need, because it helps our numbers, because we know how to check iTunes stats now, kind of. (laughs) Big changes changes for 2017. Uh, But if you click that subscribe button... All you have to do. I don't know when this episode's going to go live. Could be at noon on Tuesday. Could be at three in the morning. I don't know. We never really know. You know who doesn't need to know? You. Won't matter. Or Chauncey. He's just always ready to deliver Chauncey it. is always ready. Listen, Chauncey does like a lot of coke. <laughs> <laughs> Chauncey is hyped up. He is ready at a moment's notice. Or is he notice. just on amphetamines? He is constantly in the starter's block. I may know some people who take amphetamines. Um, <laughs> not like prescribed amphetamines uh-huh. from their doctor. Mm-hmm. But just it makes you like... <laughs> kind of crowds are you running with when i'm not around what the adhd crowds <laughs> those crowds i may know some people with adhd who need to have amphetamines so they have a normal brain or mostly normal brain and chauncey always at the ready oh yeah he is definitely either on cocaine or amphetamines or both we're Poss- not sure. possibly both i don't really like to get into his personal life we don't talk that much but speaking of personal lives hey how was your holiday kate uh it it it's good. It's good. Yeah, <laughs> it's good. That's a that's a that's a rictus grin stretch across your face right now. Well, you know, people don't want to hear that you had uh, maybe a stressful holiday or one that was not as restful as theirs. They they don't care. As I said, it's same thing with like the so done all your holiday shopping that kind of <laughs> conversation piece. They just want you to say. Oh, it was great. How was yours? Like that's all they want. They don't really want you to be like, eh, it's kind of it was fine. But, I mean, I had a great time with family, which was nice, because that doesn't always happen. No. And if um, your family's anything like mine, you were probably glad you had the geek down to be like, I have to go to do this important thing, family. <laughs> I have to go now. Um, and it was actually really great. The The only sort of mention of Trump got like, everyone was like, no. Nope, 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 no, nope. We're no. not doing that. Nope. Tell you what we're not uh, doing. Having a happy holiday. No one's <laughs> I was getting into a bar fight in the middle of the dining room, smashing bottles over people's heads and stuff. Um, 
yeah, no, so that that was great, and uh, just a lot of family. It was very much busier than I would have liked. As we know, I'm we are both introverts, and I am the hmm. type that likes to sit in quiet and read for long periods of time or zone out watching television, and I didn't get to do a lot of that, so that was unfortunate. Um, but the actual, like, visiting with family was, was great. How about you? You know who didn't have a busy holiday? You? Me. Oh, lucky you. That's great. Um, I know if I was going to bring this up to the listeners, but hell, she's telling everybody who will listen, so I don't think she would mind. Um, I'm almost diagnosed with breast cancer this year. I'm very sorry to hear that. Uh, you already knew. I know, but they don't know I knew, and I just wanted, what was, I wasn't going to say anything and then be like, wow, what, Caitlin, she's actually a heartless bitch. Uh, so she actually had surgery Christmas week. Yes. Like December 21st, she had surgery remove a tumor and a couple of lymph nodes and get those sent off and we are still waiting for how pathology tests to come back to find out how severe it's going to be and what the course will be going forward um so it's very important that i got home and that i spent a significant time at home and when i walked in basically <laughs> she like whipped out her gnarly surgery scars like the second i walked in so we were like how's your mom doing i was like i think, she, I think she's doing all right she's doing okay she was like it's like give me a big hug and she was like oh it's so happy you're here so here's what they did <laughs> half whips her boob out and she got this gnarly like stitch scar in her in her side but hey, hey scars are sexy they're very cool <laughs> i'm sure she'd be happy to hear that um well i just and this is sort of a reminder um i also i don't know if i mentioned to you but um a couple weeks ago, I, I got a piece of mail from the Ontario government telling me to get checked for cervical cancer. cancer. Well, that was so, nice of them. Yeah. That, I think as you turn 30 and they're like, hey, just by the way, cancer. Um, government so, doesn't care about my cervix. <laughs> well, yeah. No, I guess not because you don't have one. Let's get so. some love for my cervix in 2017. <laughs> oh, God. You're... My, doing that man thing. Just, it's all about you. all about my cervix. Um, so... Yeah, so just that's a, a reminder to all the ladies out there. Make sure when you get reminders, or it's very important. I'm I'm not laughing because it's unimportant. I'm laughing that it's very important. I just didn't think it'd be something an just, announcement we'd be making for the people today. Well, well, make sure to get tested, get your cervix tested for cancer, and your breasts examined for cancer. Even if you do it yourself, that's great. But you should make sure you get your mammogram and all that jazz. It's yeah, going to be to be totally honest, ladies. Uh, my mom is. 60 she will be 65 next month um and just like she did her random checks and one day she found something and boom she did not waste any time she went straight to the doctor and who knows that may end up saving her life or making the path forward much less arduous than it would have been otherwise so so in 2017 take care of yourselves take care of yourselves other fun moment of my holiday, and I mean, let's not, we don't need to totally get into it. The show will be three hours long if we really get into everything. <laughs> but, um, so my best friend, Jeff, longtime listener, listens when he shaves. Hi, Jeff. He's come up before. Uh, Jeff has now, he used to live in Windsor, which is technically a half hour from my parents' house. Right. And I don't drive, so I'm usually like scrambling for rides to get up there like I'm still a teenager. <laughs> if Jeff and, I, Jeff and I want to see each other. Jeff now lives, he has moved to Amherstburg. He has a, he has a son now who is one year old. His name is Finn. I call him Shoes. Don't ask. Okay. And he now lives very close, like a seven minute drive, like oh, a five wow. to seven minute drive from my parents' house. Uh, the only person who was probably more excited for me to be home at Christmas besides my mother was Jeff Malosh. <laughs> God bless him. Because when you've been friends with somebody for like, you know, 35 years. Yeah. It's just what kind of happens. So like we would go grocery shopping. <laughs> 
that's fantastic. The, the day after I got back, Jeff was like, I go do groceries. You want to come hang out? It's like, fuck yeah, let's yeah, go do groceries. let's do groceries. So we would do groceries, and I probably saw more of this trip than I have on most of my trips, to be honest. And if that's any indication of how it will be going forward, that was very awesome. Made our usual run to Detroit to hit up the record shops. Whew. Good times in Detroit, always. You killed it, you said? Crushed it. Crushed and then I showed you the Instagram video. Yep. Jeff and I went back to his house, and we cleaned records. Must have been awesome. It was. <laughs> no, my big crushing it was um, after I got back. I got back on the, 30, the 30th, I think. Um, no, I got back on the 29th. After having a run-in with the dude at Greyhound, because, listen... My, I'm an only child. My parents were generous. It's not like they like broke the bank on me, but you know they got me enough stuff. Yeah, and including uh, my cardigan game has totally like leveled up Ooh. because I forgot a Calnet cardigan there last year, and I'd been missing it the whole time. My mom decided it looked a little ratty. Oh, <laughs> so, so her and my dad uh, bought me like I got like a hoodie. Like a thick thermal hoodie. I got what I've been calling my Drake sweater. It looks like I should be in the Hotline Bling video. It's a pullover with a little, with a little cowl neck. It's not quite a turtleneck. It's weird. It's hard to explain. Yeah. Fresh to death. And my uh, my hip, my official hipster grandpa, you know, cowl neck wooden buttons. Nice. Alpine sweater. Nice. Um, these are very large. They were not going to fit into the suitcase I brought. So I need an additional suitcase. Right. Uh, and I get to the Greyhound and it's checking... First of all, people at the Greyhound, or people at anywhere you travel, yeah, people are just savages. Doesn't matter how you're traveling. <laughs> yeah, they are. Like the the train now, the Via, it's assigned seating. Why are you lining up four hours beforehand? Like that, that people stand so. there for an hour. It's assigned seating. Sit your ass down and get up when <laughs> your your train's called. Like we don't have to make it that big a thing. The Greyhound, oh lord, savages. And so I roll up, and I'm like, where am I going to be sitting, and who am I going to be sitting with? Because it's not the science seating on the Greyhound. Oh, people are so, like, yeah. People are like, bust in for that window seat. Who cares? But like, people take it very seriously. And the dude is like, you know, you paid for one bag. I'm like, and yet here we are. Like, <laughs> I'm just saying, what are you saying? You only pay for one bag. So what? I'm not leaving it here. Like, what are you telling me, man? He's like, he mumbled something about like paying, getting charged for it. I'm like, yeah, fine. I don't care. And I go over and I drop both my bags yeah. where they're loading them under the, into the side of the bus. Now paranoid the entire way to the stop over in London that they've just left my other bag right. on the side of the road. Because so, that, yeah. So when we stop at London, I hop out to take a leak and like glance, <laughs> glance at the baggage compartment. See, they're both there. And I'm like, all right, we'll see how this goes. Get to Toronto. Yep. Hop my ass out. Grab both of them. <laughs> saw a cab. <laughs> was like you take debit yep cool boom out of there come for me greyhound they're, they're gonna drag you down well, and charge how you. are you going to charge me for this do you unless you're really going on the honor system here that you think i'm just gonna be like oh to do hi i brought an extra bag please take my money <laughs> no apparently Fuck um, you, greyhound. apparently this is a thing with with flights now like they charge you for everything you don't really have a choice with flights though because you have to check everything well, there's like a process you no have to but tag i mean it. like they'll they'll they're charging you for like extra leg room like it's just oh, yeah, they, no to, they like, charge a, you for everything a level that's ridiculous i saw I actually saw a great a great piece about like <laughs> relevant to my life uh being fat while traveling yeah and people think it's just like oh yes there's nothing i love more than you know making you uncomfortable while traveling every fat person who has to travel 
is already having the worst time in life. Oh, yeah. To, to a degree you can't imagine. And the level of uncomfortability we are putting ourselves in to not inconvenience you, person sitting next to us, you yeah. don't even understand. And it's like, oh, people, you're too fat to fly, blah, blah, blah. You, you look at it and it's like the seats have been consecutively narrowed over the years so they can fit more people on to make yeah. more money. Like, it's not just the fact that people are fat. It's the fact that, like, there's less space for them to move in. Anyway, that's a whole nother topic. New Year's Eve day. Last week of Boxing Day sales. Mm -hmm. Boxing Week sales at the record stores. So I did my research and I had a plan. And I was out there and I, cr <laughs> I spent like $20 and got three, like, heat rocks. Like Wow. You want to know what I did on, on New Year's Eve? What'd you do? I stayed in and watched television and drank some champagne and it was amazing. I didn't even see the news. I was asleep by eight. I was, I was asleep <laughs> soon after that. But I got to stay in on New Year's, which is basically my, one of my life goals. And I've done it. Well done, Caitlin. That was a high five to myself. <laughs> You'd never stayed in on New Year's before? I don't think. Or if we did, it was like at a party. But this was just me and senior correspondent hanging out, watching telly. And drinking some champagne and having some snacks, and it was perfect. I don't think I've gone out for New Year's in, like, five years. I don't um, think since I've lived in the Polly Pocket I've gone out for New Year's. We've gone out. Um, a lot of it, though, I'm, it's been, like, people's, like, house parties or... But anything where I have to not wear pajamas is a failure to me. If I could wear pajamas doing everything, I would. The only... Yeah, the last, like... Well, no. We used to go out to... When my friend... Uh, my friends Greg and Sarah were married. They had a house out in Fergus, and we would sometimes, which is near Guelph, and we would sometimes go out there, small, quiet town, and act a goddamn fool. Those were usually, <laughs> those were usually good times. Or we had a back when me and the ex had the first floor of a house here in Toronto. We uh, we held like a drop in sort of thing one night. It's like if you got nothing to do, you don't want to be at home, swing by. Yeah. Or if you're on your way to somewhere else, swing by. Yeah. Have a drink before you head somewhere else. But I mean, fuck New Year's in general. It's so dumb. Kind of dumb. I kind of like it. No, I mean, like I saw a comic. It was like a three-panel comic, and it was like <laughs> a, it was like a little blob with a party hat on. It's like I have to have the most fun ever. And then the second panel is him with confetti dropping down and just the caption "normal amount of fun." And then he's looking in the mirror again, like, "Oh no." <laughs> well, it is. It is pretty silly, and the pressure people put on having like an amazing—that's what it is. New Year's time. Uh, my because of my the way. For those of you who don't know, I have a general anxiety disorder. Yay! Woo! Don't we all? And um, associated with that is uh, I have obsessive compulsive disorder. And it, it mostly has gone from my life. It is nowhere near where it used to be. But every so often when I get especially anxious for no reason, because that's how it works, um, or for a reason, but way blown out of proportion, because that's how it works. Um, my OCD likes to kick in just to make it that much worse. So I have a thing about beginnings. So mm. New Year's for me, the fact that it started, it was the first and it started on a Sunday, which is the beginning of the calendar. And it's 2017 was just like my brain <laughs> couldn't handle it. I almost had a meltdown. Uh, so I had to be like, <laughs> Caitlin, you don't have to make every resolution about everything for forever. 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 Like it just, you just, one resolution, just one tiny, like keep the kitchen clean. Like you just work <laughs> on one small grown up thing and we can go from there. Um, but yeah. So if out there you have those resolutions, you can tell us about it on the Facebook group if you want or other other Twitter and you can talk about how you failed already or you can talk about how uh, you're going to need our support to get you through it 
Or you can talk about just what it is, because we know that one of mine is not watching trailers, <laughs> and I failed. Um, but it wasn't uh, on purpose. I just forgot. Um, so if you have a resolution like that, let me know. Yeah, I don't really go in for resolutions. I feel like I just look at things that like there are some things you could. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to lose fifty pounds. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. Maybe I should take my sleep a little more seriously. Yeah. This year, while I'm for the moment continuing to work nights. Maybe yeah. I shouldn't average five hours of sleep a night. Maybe I should no. try to get that smooth. Maybe I should try to be in bed by noon every day. Yeah, I think so. Sort of thing. Um, keep it keep it manageable. Anyway, we're not going to... We're really going to rapid fire the news yeah. yeah. right now. There's just... We missed so much. We were gone for like basically a month. There's way too much to, to try and try and cover for while we were away and a lot of has even happened in the last couple days so we're gonna just like hit you with some things we thought were interesting quick quick rapid fire first and foremost should probably i think i made the joke (laughs) i didn't think it would be so accurate when we we may have been talking about someone who died when we recorded like the first episode that we banked yeah the joke about like oh i wonder who's gonna die between the time we record this and the time it airs Mm -hmm. turns out everybody so i'll leave caitlin to talk about the the other major death the major death for me that probably didn't mean as much to a lot of other people rest in peace to george michael i actually felt i was really struck by that he's just so young right he's 53 yeah um and that that always seems to to hurt more. And we still we still don't know why. Maybe we never will. Um, he is a man who was not without vices during his life. Um, who also really loved dudes' butts unapologetically. Yes. I didn't really have to put it that way. You could have just said, you know, he was gay and it could have might have been something to do with AIDS, but that's We just, don't uh, know and I'm I don't want to you know. Even as I say that, I'm speculating, but I don't want to speculate. We don't know why. And it really doesn't been, matter. It could have been like an aneurysm or a mm-hmm. stroke or a million other things. Could have things. been a blood clot. Could have been a million things. The fact is, kids, you don't realize how much of a monster he was. He owned the fucking pop charts. Like, oh, yeah. The dude was... Yeah, you watch that video of a shirtless guy with a mullet playing saxophone, like... That's Careless Whisper by Wham. He wrote that fucking song when he was 17. Mm-hmm. Never gonna dance again. Guilty feet ain't got no rhythm. What? You're 17. <laughs> Fuck you, George Michael. How do you write that? Um, the Wham album is phenomenal. Faith, I, like, hated as a child because it was just everywhere. Right. Like, the album Faith was so ubiquitous that, like... Back when my extended family, like the cousins and the aunts and stuff, still bought like presents for like the nephews, I yeah. got a copy of Faith because it was just like it was the safe bet. Right. <laughs> it was like right. he likes music. I'll buy him Faith by George Michael. It was like buying every teenage girl uh, Alanis Morissette's Jay Little Pill. Like it was just th- that great. And the video for Father Figure probably did much for my uh, adolescent sexual awakening. <laughs> Not gonna lie, super sexy video. And he had a song called I Want Your Sex, which is just, ooh, great sex, scandalous. <laughs> scandalous. But he also, you know, everybody talks about how, like, somebody like Prince, also R.I.P., how Prince was, like, said F you to his record company and, like, didn't like how the record company was treating him and whatnot. Like, George Michael did that, too. At the, like, post-faith, he totally, like, 
imploded his image deliberately. And, he and, wouldn't appear in his videos. He no. wouldn't be. He didn't want to be like a pop tart. Basically, he didn't want to get by on his looks, or that women wanted to sleep with him. And, and the fact that he he was one of the first pop stars to come out as gay, and then not apologize for it. No, no. And... <laughs> he got caught soliciting in a public bathroom in the nineties, I think. In the, sometime in the 90s. That sounds about right. And that was basically forced out because of that. Yeah. Um, and his response was to write a song called Outside, which is basically about exhibitionism and soliciting gay sex in public places. He had zero fucks. And then Freedom was is an amazing... I listen to that song all the time. It's just an amazing song. Listen, I got a 12-inch in this giant pile of records uh, of a song called Fast Love yeah. by George Michael. Me and Jeff... That is our jam, <laughs> unapologetically. Fast love is basically about getting yourself off with whoever's around. Like, good times. Just want that fast love. Yeah. Um, so yeah, rest in peace to George Michael, man. He was he was a hell of a. a Ricky Gervais posted a clip of him on extras. <laughs> where <laughs> it's basically for whatever reason, Ricky Gervais ends up sitting on a bench that's as as a paparazzo says in the clip, the fag bench. Like, right. It's where dudes sit and like look for action yeah ricky gervais doesn't know this when he sits down he ends up talking to someone and then george michael walks by and he like says to the old guy it's like how's the the action today (laughs) and it's like like, george what are you doing here it's like oh it's my my lunch hour your lunch hour yeah community service it's like what you again (laughs) he's like no he then he goes into this whole story about (laughs) i think he got then the story he got busted for like tipping a fridge off of a dock with annie lennox (laughs) For like illegal waste disposal or something, <laughs> it was so goddamn funny. Uh, so yeah, that's it's a tragedy. Definitely listen. Just go on Spotify, listen to his greatest hits if you've never heard his stuff before. It's it's really great. And that was not the only. I was actually in in America in Detroit when it happened. We hit a McDonald's for some food on the way home. The Wi-Fi kicked it kicked in, and my phone blew up. To let me know that... Carrie Fisher, of course, has passed away, and her mother, Debbie Reynolds, um, a couple days after her. Yeah. And uh, it's just, again, I mean, uh, Carrie Fisher was in her 60s, or was 60. Not exceptionally old, either. No, not at all. Um, My parents are older, so that always freaks me out. Yeah, so are mine. However, my parents didn't do, like, cocaine for years and years and years and drink, like, Coke every single day. True. So there is that. Um, But, you know, still, of course, she is a a living... She was a living legend and um, was outspoken and did a lot for mental illness Mm -hmm. and talking about mental illness and she was actually, a lot of people didn't know, beyond, of course, pr- playing Princess Leia, um, she was something which I always thought I would be amazing at, which is a script doctor, who's someone who punches up dialogue and sort of cleans up scripts and actually saved a couple of them um, and helped help them along. Um, and she did that for years. And, of course, she was a writer as well and was always very funny. And she wasn't... I never thought of her as being, you know, laugh out loud funny, but she was always very witty and smart. Mm. Um, and it's so sad that um, that she's gone. I, I mean, unfortunately, there's that other side which seems so heartless, which is we know that she is more in the second Star Wars movie, but of course they hadn't. <laughs> you people are monsters. My We're buddy, no, hey. my buddy Glenn, I was talking to, and Wait, he's I like have... mad Star Wars. 
I haven't finished yet. I was going to say, I know that a lot of people have been talking about this. Well, what's going to happen in the third movie? I think part of the the reason people are talking about this, because I'm just going to say this now. Spoilers, if you haven't seen Rogue, Rogue One, go, go five minutes from now. Um, at the very end of Rogue One, they have her mm. um, in the movie, but they use this weird digital it's a cgi cgi they basically have an actor and then like put her face on the actor and it looks terrible and i think (laughs) a lot of people are afraid there's sort of questions about because one of the actors they used was actually um the actor that played they did it for tarkin um, too moff tarkin yeah and he's passed away several years now um and people kind of have issues with that like ethical issues you're using someone's likeness without their knowledge because they're gone um and they i think people are worried they don't want them to do that with with leia you know they don't want that to happen to sort of carrie fisher i think that's why people are talking about it Mm. it just it it was weird timing the way that worked so we're not monsters we're concerned it's the fact that you know i was talking to my buddy glenn about other things glenn who's the biggest star wars fan i know and the subject of Carrie Fisher came up and I said, oh, how, how are you doing? And the first words out of her mouth were, well, you know, she finished eight. So, yeah. <laughs> woo, <laughs> dodged a bullet there. I don't see you it like monsters. that. I mean, I'm I'm happy that she, they said that she had more of a role to play in eight. Um, I was just hoping that they wouldn't, I, that they would do her justice yeah. and write something interesting for her yeah. you hope they find an elegant way to get around it rather than yeah. like um cgiing her this sounds terrible but if i was a director just this has happened lots of times i would just always have back doors written for every single character <laughs> they did it for babylon 5 i know that mm. um and i think just it's just a good practice to have you never know what's going to happen there could be a zombie apocalypse i mean honestly when we're you know we came out that you know ford hurt his foot or something during the filming of seven yeah. <laughs> ford was like it's like in his 70s i'm sure people were like oh yeah, God. Hope, hope he makes it and then that ended up not being an issue going forward but i mean yeah i don't think anybody thought it was going to be her and like george michael she was just another one that like had no fucks for the trappings of celebrity yeah. or fame or whatnot this is, the best the best thing was the advice she gave to uh daisy ridley who plays Ray, which was uh, don't go through the cast like Carrie Fisher did. <laughs> <laughs> and Daisy was like, thanks. Thanks for the advice. I think it's good advice, though. And in amazing fashion, did you see her earn as a giant Prozac pill? Yes. Yeah, I saw that. God bless you. Yeah. God bless so, you, Carrie Fisher. Um, so we'll see what happens. Again, I just hope it's in sort of an elegant exit. But, well, you know, we'll see. And go watch uh, Postcards from the Edge. It's an yes. 80s movie based on her memoir as um, and her relationship with her mother, Debbie Reynolds. And in the movie, uh, Meryl Streep plays Carrie Fisher, or the Carrie Fisher figure. And Shirley MacLaine plays the Debbie Reynolds character. And it's a very amusing and acerbic takedown of celebrity culture and what her life was like growing up as an adult with a famous mother. Yes. Oh... <sighs> Hopefully, 2017 will be better. Hopefully. Well, we have some things here. Good things? Happy things? Yeah, a couple. Oh. Uh, One thing that happened basically the day after we went on real-time hiatus, uh, your lead for Star Trek was announced. (laughs) I know. I'm so happy. And, well, it was not Michelle Yeoh. 
despite Michelle Yeoh's presence yes. in the show. She is not playing the lead. Um, she is... Uh, the casting for the commander is going to be uh, Sonequa Martin-Green. I think that's how you say her first name. Mm-hmm. Um, people may know her as Sasha Williams in The Walking Dead and Tamara in Once Upon a Time. I have not seen either of those things, so I don't know her. But she looks fantastic. I think she's going she's gonna to do a great job. Um, and I'm very, very happy. It's, she's a she's a female of color, and I think that's awesome. And I just hope there's more diverse casting, more ladies, yay! <laughs> In a similar vein, news from something we love almost as much as Caitlin loves Star Trek. Greg Wiseman on Twitter was talking to, getting into exchange with another Twitter user uh, about something that Greg Wiseman had said during the second season of Young Justice that there had always to his mind and written as such been LGBTQ characters on young justice, Mm -hmm. but due to Warner slash cartoon network slash whatever stipulations, not really something that was ever able to be acknowledged or addressed, which is silly, but yes, it is silly. And in the one benefit to the length of time that has elapsed between seasons two and three, those rules and regulations may have been relaxed a little bit. Which would be nice. And some of these characters may now be able to exist as, you know, in a post-Steven Universe world. Yeah. Some of these characters, my money's on Artemis. Um, <laughs> really? Oh, no, everyone says Calder. That's what it was. Everybody thinks Calder is. Really? Yeah. That was the name I saw bandied about. It's like, if there were already gay or lesbian characters... In Young Justice, everybody immediately looked to Calder. Greg Weisman isn't saying one way or the other, but oh, because I because Aqualad. But he the, had a he had that hot girl. Well, maybe he's bisexual. Yeah, who knows? Yeah, who knows? He had that he had that love triangle thing. Yeah. with his Atlantean classmates. More bisexual characters. Uh, maybe he was about the dude. Maybe he's about them both. Who knows? Who knows? But yeah, definitely more bisexual characters. Um, but yes, but Greg Weisman teasing the fact that. This may be something that can be a little more directly addressed in the forthcoming third season of Young Justice. Fantastic. All right. Well, it, friends, in a, in a, I had, Jordan had some time at the laundromat okay. <laughs> yesterday. So he got all the news. Ooh. And in a flip of our usual uh, mode, usually, normally Jordan has no news. <laughs> and Kate just hits him with all the stuff. I, I just couldn't. I just couldn't this, this past Today, past it's things Jordan didn't know were things. Oh. So Sanrio which is not maybe a company name people are familiar with, but their biggest claim to fame, probably everyone's familiar with, Hello Kitty. The adorable Hello Kitty. Sanrio is basically one of these, you know, they're IP generators. They make mascots. They make characters to put on clothes. They make toasters. And everything. That have Hello Kitty's face on it. And they don't just make Hello Kitty. They basically have cute animals for everything. I was always a fan of Karapi and Baditsmaru. And they had a... Pachaco. In the 90s, they had a Hello Kitty TV show. Sometimes they have TV shows. Yeah, there have been a few anime over the years. Um, so I showed Caitlin this before we started because I wanted her to be familiar with it. This week, Sanrio announced their latest character, Agretsuko, or Agretsuko, if you're really bastardizing it, English-like. She is a 25-year-old red panda. She works as an office lady. She does. <laughs> kind of a low-level office associate for an undisclosed company. And she is seething with rage. 
Amazing, amazing rage. <laughs> amazing rage. Basically, in the minute-long introduction video that Sanrio posted on their Twitter, you see her go to work. Super excited to be done for the day. Her boss shows up and dumps a bunch of stuff on her. <laughs> on her desk. Can you do this? Can you do this? You're so helpful. And just, and I'm sorry, just to put this out there, I identify with this character <laughs> I was gonna say, so much. I was going to say, you see a lot of yourself here? This is ha- That has happened to me so many times because I'm nice. Yeah. So Kate, people take advantage Kate's of, reliable. of my niceness. Gretzko's reliable. Uh, so then she will go and you will see like... <laughs> The kanji for rage start to glow on her forehead, and she goes to karaoke and sings the deathest of death metal songs in like a screaming voice. Yeah, about how this is not her life, and don't put your work on me, <laughs> and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And it is one of the most bizarre things I've seen in recent memory. I I don't do karaoke. I I can't sing, and it, what? it's terrifying. It's the point of doing karaoke. Um, it's not though. Um. So I just scream into pillows a lot um, because I don't want my dancers' neighbors to call the police. Um, So that's how I get out my rage about stuff like that. So, yeah, I don't know what this is going to be. It looks as though they are putting out a bunch of uh, minute-long little shorts about Agretzko and her life. The only ones I've found so far have been subtitled in Spanish. So You better get on learning Spanish then. uh, Or get on where the actual English subbed ones are. So, yes, all all you ladies... Frustrated by your working situation, keep an eye out for a Gretzko merch so you can voice your frustrations on a mug or some plastic silverware. Though, or... though uh, one of my best friends just got me a amazing mug that says Caitlin on it, and it's like, um, and God decided there should be sexy, amazing women everywhere, and so he made Caitlin, and I'm going to use it every day. I'm so excited. So I might have to switch it at like switch it out between that and a an Agretzko mug, so I could be like, "This is my rage panda. Yeah. She is so, my inner beast." When Caitlin is sipping from the Agretzko mug, don't bring your work to her. No, don't do it. Don't do it. Moving on, something that I think came up briefly last year was a sitcom called Powerless. Yes, I think we talked about it. This was a half-hour sitcom on NBC that I paid attention to because Danny Pudi was going to be a supporting character on it, and I love me some Danny Pudi. And Alan Tudyk. All right. Your boy Alan Tudyk's on there as well. Alan Tudyk. Uh, Alan Tudyk getting a lot of love for his Rogue One performance, by the way. Um, He was fantastic. I'll talk about Rogue One later. Um, Also, he's in all of the Disney. He's in every Disney thing that comes out. Yeah, we're not going to get into the whole DuckTales thing, but I mean, he's not in DuckTales. Danny Pudi is, but Disney. Um, holy shit, they just really went all out with that DuckTales voice cast. Yeah, I don't know why. And I am not a DuckTales person. Like, no. I never really cared about DuckTales Mm-mm. or Goof Troop or no. Chip Rescue Rangers, all them. Well, like, Rescue Rangers, yes. I don't know why Rescue Rangers, but the other ones could have just gone. Darkwing Duck, I didn't give a shit about any of them. But the promo art looks very old school Carl Barks, like, mm-hmm. 40s Disney comic books. Yeah. And, like, David Tennant is doing Scrooge McDuck, and yeah. Kate McCucci is the girl, and Bobby Moynihan, and some dude I don't know, and Danny Pudi, or Huey Dewey, and Louie, and another guy from SNL is Launchpad McQuack. Like, yeah, it's bizarre. I don't understand what's going on. A, they really apparently think they got something with DuckTales, and they opened up the money bags. But anyway, we're not here to talk about DuckTales. We're talking about this other thing Danny Pudi's doing, which is Powerless, which was originally supposed to be a sitcom set in the DCU about an insurance agency that dealt with claims people made about... 
super heroic mayhem, basically. Yeah. You know, which sounds like a really awesome premise. You know, it's like you know the Green Lantern punches somebody through your house. You go to the insurance company to get money to rebuild your house, and it looked like it was going to be the sort of push and pull between the Van- Vanessa Hudgens character who wants to help everybody and signs off on everything and approves every claim, and the Alan Tudyk character as like the corporate overlord who was like trying to tighten the fist on what claims were approved and the back and forth that developed there. Apparently the whole insurance office setting did not test well. So they threw that out and now everybody works for Wayne enterprises, which is, I mean, it, that, I feel like that's a whole other sitcom. It is because now instead of like, they build gadgets yeah. to help people. One I saw was apparently like the rubble umbrella. It's supposed to be like an umbrella that can like withstand <laughs> the fall of rubble, which is actually a good idea. So it looks like it's going to be a lot goofier they've released more teaser footage it's right. it's totally different the cast is all still there they haven't lost anybody That's good. um so yeah your boy alan tudyk's still there but i did not see him do anything in this teaser footage he's just kind of there briefly so i don't know what this show is going to be now but I, I feel like that's a really bad um sign you just i and it doesn't feel good or at least wouldn't you want to do sort of testing before you come out with a trailer i just feel like that would that's the best thing to do i don't know or maybe they just maybe nbc bought the pilot and they started showing the pilot around testing the pilot once they ordered it to series i guess i don't know we don't know how the television business works that's why we do this for free instead of making money writing scripts So that's what's going on with Powerless. Um, we don't know when that's going to drop. Sometime in 2017, I believe. Um, two more, more serious kind of stories I have. Oh, serious. We hate serious things. Uh, the first one being bad times for the comic book legal defense fund. This is a yeah. nonprofit that, in the past, I don't know how much they're really needed anymore. But initially, their uh, their whole reason for being was. When comics still had the stigma of being, you know, just for kids yep. and more adult comic books started coming out, whether it was the alt comics of the 60s or like fucking Omaha the Cat Dancer and shit in like the 80s, for a more adult audience that could have things like the sexy sex in it or the swearing or whatnot. Sometimes, you know, comic store owners that weren't really paying attention would sell these to people they shouldn't. They'd put them on the lower shelves. Yes. Easily accessible. Sometimes they would end up in the hands of children and the Helen Lovejoys of the world would lose their mind and be like, what is this smut? What is this porno that you're peddling to our children? And they would... Sweet, sweet porno. <laughs> it's a sweet, sweet porno. Mm, mm, pornography. Porno. <laughs> and they would sue or they'd be charged with obscenity or whatever and basically be threatened with losing their business. The creator's would get sued or ch- and charged with it under obscenity laws. So the comic book legal defense fund was formed basically to provide legal services. Because as we know, uh, comics writers and creators don't get paid a lot of money. You'd be surprised that you may be surprised to learn <laughs> most comic creators and comic shop owners cannot afford to obtain good legal counsel, especially not poor, poor illustrators and colorers. So this is why the CBLDF existed. They make a, shit ton of money uh throughout the industry many notable luminaries from the industry usually devote their services and talents to them neil gaiman has been a very active benefactor writing comics especially for the cbldf and encouraging working on their behalf to encourage donations towards the service and whatnot so why do does nobody like them this week uh i don't know why don't you tell us jordan i will tell you well 
someone at the CBLDF saw kindred spirits in the people at Simon and Schuster, a major publisher. Poor, poor Simon and Schuster. Simon and Schuster decided, one of their imprints decided to give a $250,000 advance, quarter of a million dollars to contract a book to be written by someone named Milo Yiannopoulos. Caitlin says, you might say, huh? Milo Yiannopoulos is a conservative dumpster fire, just a <laughs> billowing cauldron of hate and gross. He is. Who is this? And hey, that's his gimmick. That's the route he's decided to go. That's decided how he wants to make his money. You know, he makes Ann Coulter look like a, you know, baby raccoon. Just. On, he does, honestly. You want to know, you maybe heard about, you know, SNL slash Ghostbuster star Leslie Jones vacating Twitter last year. Uh, it was basically because she was being bullied and harassed by people kind of being directed by this Milo Yiannopoulos guy. He called her like, you know, a gorilla and a man and things like that. And he basically just spews vile, hateful, racist, sexist, misogynistic shit. Cause it, you know, gets some hits. And, and he get, he has this whole posse of, of trolls that basically just whoever he directs them at, they just circle and, and destroy. And he is the only person Twitter has ever banned. They outright banned them. They're like, you know what? It's, that's enough. Yeah. <laughs> Given how Twitter is notorious for the hate that swirls around there yeah. and the stupid, for Twitter to actually be like, no, you're too much, it's it's almost impressive. So Simon and Schuster decided that he deserved an outlet <laughs> yeah. and paid him a quarter of a million dollars to do it with them. This has led to many people in the publishing world. To voice their issues with Simon & Schuster. They disagree with this decision. Some places have decided to basically boycott Simon & Schuster for the year. Mm -hmm. Some review outlets. They're like, that's it. We're not reviewing any books from Simon & Schuster anymore. And that's really going to suck for, you know, up-and-coming authors and authors that don't get much attention who are writing books that we might have reviewed and given some exposure to otherwise. But we can't support this in any... We don't want to support this in any fashion. The CBLDF initially decided that this was wrong and basically put out an open letter or signed something in solidarity with Simon & Schuster because to their mind, it's similar to, even though people have noble reasons for doing so, they're kind of doing the thing that the CBLDF has fought against their -hmm. entire life. Their thing is policing speech does not eliminate that speech. I want to put my hand, can I put my hand up? Sure. Sure. Um, so before you continue, this is very different. (laughs) Um, there's been a lot, especially with, um, comedians, there's been a lot of talk about free speech. Um, and people don't seem to understand what free speech is. Free speech doesn't mean there are no repercussions for what you say. Yes. It means that the government can't arrest you for what it is you're saying yes if people say hey we don't think you guys simon and schuster have made um a good move and we are going to show you this by not reviewing any of your books that is within somebody's right to do that that is how what people always say that the market, that's the marketplace how, of ideas, that's how it works. People show they either, they don't buy products or they don't do reviews or, you know, they, they, um, become, 
disconnected from we know y'all love capitalism so yeah there you go um from that you know uh um company um so they are well people are well within their rights so for the the i can't what, what is their uh the cbldf cbldf to sort of be like oh this is exactly like getting sued for content it is it is not it's not the same thing, guys. No, it is not. And people pointed that out and started threatening to revoke their donations and not donate to them anymore. And the folks at the CBLDF have doubled down and said, y'all are misconstruing what we're saying. Um, basically repeated the argument I made earlier, which is like, they don't think this is the way to go about voicing your opposition sort of thing and basically have decided this is the hill they want to die on and that's really unfortunate and somewhat puzzling yeah. that they want to have you know a major their first major headline of 2017 have them basically aligned with a human dumpster fire yeah and and the stuff he says um what's it milos is last who name? cares um or his first name or garbage yeah, man garbage man um he like the stuff he says is actually awful like like women are obviously not smarter than as, as smart as men sorry or like they should just be in the kitchen in the bedroom like actual stuff that you're like i don't i can't it's uh, deliberately designed to provoke a reaction and to make liberals mad and 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 but also um the people who follow him are you know really taking all this stuff to heart and acting on the things that he says so he is sort of like doubly bad because he knows all of this and uh the fact that he got a quarter of a million dollars to be awful is really upsetting i wish someone would give us a quarter of a million dollars to be awesome yeah right that would be that would be great and it's not even that like you know so the imprint of simon and schuster that is you know contracted this book deals in you know conservative ideas that's mm -hmm. there that's the brand cool i don't think anybody would be people would have a problem with it but if you hadn't given them a quarter of a million fucking dollars yeah to do it yeah i didn't get a quarter of a million dollars to write a fucking book you know what i got nothing yeah. i got a promise to future royalties you could have given them that yeah exactly that would have been better and if he's as hot an act as you seem to think he is hey he'd make all that and then some when his book came out so yeah that's how the market works one huh. last story today. Is it a good story? Possibly. Okay. It's a surprising story that All could right. lead to good things. Okay. So in two unrelated incidents, notable anime creators have started speaking out about the god awful industry that is actually involved in making this thing that I love and you kind of like sometimes <laughs> that being anime, uh, Director Osamu Yamasaki and another director named Yutaka Yamamoto and the former president of Gainax, the studio behind Evangelion and Gurren Lagan and Gunbuster and Nadia and all those fun things and FLCL, a uh, guy named Toshio Okada, have been publicly criticizing the anime industry and how it is set up. Right. We hear a lot of times about how grueling the industry actually is and mm -hmm. how awful it is for the people who make this stuff. Yes. It's actually an anime called Shirobako about the anime industry that can give some insight into that, even though it's a little more happy-go-lucky. You will see kind of the grueling schedules about, like, I guess some of our listeners may be more familiar in terms of, like, the video game industry. You hear about the crunch time in video game industry where, like, 
a game is supposed to come out and people just don't go home and they yeah live there and work 17 I, hour days and... i i i live it through through senior correspondent yes you do so basically they were saying uh yamasaki spoke to a publication called business journal about how the lack of pay for animators and the basically burnout is going to bring trouble to the industry. Right. Saying that basically one out of every 10 people that go into the industry mm-hmm. will remain there. Right. Most will drop out within like three years. The one point I could not believe was that, so first of all, these people are usually glorified freelancers. Right. You sign on to a show. Yes. You do not work for a studio. There are only a few that do that. Trigger, the people who did Kill a Kill, mm-hmm. is one studio like that. Ghibli is basically the only other one that can maintain like a large staff of regular animators. Right. Basically, otherwise, you are dealing with the production committee system. Right. Which basically means like bring freelancers. The committee, usually made by people who, headed by people who don't care about anime. They just want to make a buck. Right. They want to do it as economically as possible. Bring in freelancers. To make the show. Your entry level position is what's called an in-betweener. It's usually the person who checks to make sure the flow of the animation works properly and they make any adjustments to mm-hmm. it so that the animation looks smooth. Your annual salary, $8,500. Okay. $8,500 a year. I don't understand how that's... Even a thing? Even a thing. I That's... I don't... It's really not. Anywhere else that is so below the poverty line, it's... Yeah. Inconceivable. Especially in a country like Japan, which is notoriously expensive. Yeah. Um, Yamasaki yeah, points to the... Or, sorry, this is from an article on, on Goboyano, which is kind of an industry website. Uh, quote, Yamasaki points to the romanticizing of the starving artist for warping young people's expectations. Quote, animators aren't the type to worry about money or to group together and negotiate with management. There aren't many people who make their voices hurt. So that was one side. The other side was the Gainax head and director Yutaka Yamamoto talking at, about, at length about how the production committee system needs to, we got to get, we got to get rid of that. Yeah. It's garbage. Um, Quote, they spoke about how committees are typically made up of middle-aged businessmen who have no passion for anime other than to make a buck. Yamamoto said not only has that process gotten in the way of creativity, has also slowed other sources of money. He talked about how Chinese firms have offered to contribute as much as 3 billion yen, or $26 million, to produce an anime series. Compare this to the average budget of the anime series, which is only about, which is about less than a million dollars. Committees refuse to work with the Chinese because they would have to give up some of their control. Oh my god. Currently, committees control no less than 40% of an anime, which includes profits. Okada added, if committees did accept funding from Chinese firms, they make the mistake of splitting the money between 10 different projects. If we had a billion yen, we could make a really good anime movie. <laughs> Okada lamented that the practice of splitting funding leads to multiple mediocre series being made in place of one great series. I can't even. Can you imagine something that was made with a billion, a billion yen? Yes, and it's amazing. <laughs> it's, yeah. <laughs> How good would that look? So nothing is happening, but these conversations are starting to come out more, which is always a good thing because the more comfortable, especially these young people in the industry, maybe, maybe they unionize, maybe they do and maybe they get better working conditions and maybe they get better money and maybe more money comes in and maybe we get better stuff because of it. 
And this is a lot like, you know, what's happened with comic book animators, right? Like they've had some, for years, the conditions were really bad. Yeah, work for hire, right? Yeah. And it's still not not fantastic i mean it's it's slowly getting better um but i think if we enjoy these mediums so much we have to sort of respect them um as jobs and i mean you know people wonder why i i have not kept up on like apparently like the cost of like blu-rays in north america have like skyrocketed there's one company anaplex um which is like a kind of like a consortium that owns the rights to a bunch of madoka magica included um, owns a bunch of these and their box sets are like apparently obscenely expensive. Um, this is, this is why. Yeah. Because they got to try and get their money in somewhere. But anyway, hopefully better things are coming. That is all the news I got. And I haven't really contributed <laughs> anything except for being here. So bless your heart <laughs> though. Couldn't do it without you. <laughs> um, so hopefully I'll have more news next week, but for now, that that wraps up the news portion. I think, and I think we will uh, we will take a break here for a moment, and when we come back, it's book club time. Book club! I'm so excited about the book club. <laughs> we read books. We, we do did. that. We know how to read. We know how to read. And we're going to talk about the books we each gave each other when we come back after this break. See you soon. And welcome back to the show. This is the part of the show where we talk about the things we brought each other. This week, as we just mentioned, we're having the damn book club. Book club. Literacy, y'all. Yeah. Super important. Soups import. <laughs> Soups import. Um, so, uh, as... Wow, we haven't done this in a while. <laughs> so I, didn't even know where to, I didn't even know where to start. So, before we begin... We have rules. We do have rules. Kind of rules. Sort of rules. They guide us. Uh, the first rule being the rule of three, which is the rule that we will read, watch, consume three of the thing we give each other. If it's, it comes in series or cycles of some kind. Um, as it was a book, we kind of just went for it. We just it, Both of the books happen to be collection, collections of short stories. So we at least read three of them and then i ended up i ended up reading all of the book just gonna put that out there for everyone i read four um yeah good for caitlin Woo! um so i don't think i ever questioned that you're kind of a monster when it comes to reading yeah, so it's true um the second rule is the oh oh hashtag save it for the pod That's got the it thing. there we go uh hashtag save it for the pod which is just the rule that we won't talk about the things we brought each other until we are sitting down in front of these microphones the third rule which isn't really a rule it's more of a policy is there will be spoilers spoilers um especially for these books which both happen to be sort of in a like horror kind of vein magically realistic weird freaky stories kind of thing fantasy things um which was totally accidental but happened nonetheless um yeah the uh we there are going to be some spoilers so if you are interested in uh reading either uh kelly link's magic for beginners 
or uh, Joe Hill's 20th Century Ghost. That's the one that I read. Um, then I would say you should probably peace out now. But I mean, there are short story collections. We're not going to have time, nor will we talk about every story in the oh, book. So no, the pleasures of them, if they sound interesting, will still be there. Yes. So. Yes. And I do, I really do um, encourage you guys to read both. Um, even before we put out ratings, Kelly Link is my favorite author. And um, just as a, a bit of a spoiler, I, I really, I did enjoy Joe Hill, but we'll get into that. Um, so yeah, definitely go out. Know what you should do right now? You should pause this, go read some short stories from both collections, and then come back and listen. And listen, friends, this is my first time dealing with like library eBooks. Yeah. Delightful. Delightful? Delightful. Fantastic. Takes you two seconds. Put a little app on your phone or your tablet. Punch in your library card and your, and your pin. And you start browsing. Now I know my mom was so excited. <laughs> so much out there. When, when I let her start downloading ebooks. It was so easy. Found magic for beginners. It was there. Boop. Now it's there. Got it for like 17 more days. I don't even have to worry about bringing it back. Because after 17 days, boop, it's going to disappear. Amazing. How easy is that? So it's as easy. easy as downloading our podcast. So easy. All right. Well, what are we starting with? Well, we are starting with Kelly Link's Magic for Beginners. Okay. Um, a little bit about Kelly Link. I accidentally found her in a bargain bin in Indigo. Oh. Um, I was uh, around the calendars. This book or? This book well. in particular. Um, the title and the picture on the front of the book kind of intrigued me. I didn't realize it was a short story collection. I started reading and I completely fell in love. Um, yeah, this would have been a hell of a fucking find for you to just pull out of a bargain bin. Yeah, it was. I got it. I think I got it for like five bucks. Like it was, it is. And also uh, just... For uh, any friends and or family listening, if I lend it to you, can you please return it to me? <laughs> um, I don't know who I gave it to. I would really like it back. Anyways, um, Kelly Link, as we had mentioned, um, writes fantasy horror-y short stories. Um, it's also known as like Slipstream. Matt, she writes a lot of magic realism. There's some sci-fi, fantasy, mystery stuff going on as well. Um, one short story to another is is different uh which is one of my favorite things about her um she is a hugo hugo award winner she's uh won three nebula awards and a world fantasy award she only writes short stories i think she's nominated for P P pulitzer pulitzer i did not know i know she just she had a new book that just came out and i'm yeah. pretty sure i saw it in the regular fiction section yeah or the general fiction section oh. at indigo not the genre fiction section and i'm pretty sure plastered on the front was like finalist for the Pulitzer Prize type of thing. Because so. that is amazing. So big, um, big moves for Kelly Link. Um, and so uh, she came out with Magic for Beginners in 2005. She had written one other collection before that in 2001, which was Stranger Things Happen, which I've also read. And uh, and yeah, I just, like I said, I fell in love. I'm really excited that she's getting more recognition um, because I think definitely think she deserves it she's also edited quite a bit as well um and has contributed to different collections and different magazines and yeah so i think that's that's about it i think i did a pretty good job of sort of summing summing her up now jordan what did you think fucking great really yes oh see i wasn't i wasn't sure i was um so the thing with me is I love short stories. Not a lot of people do. I also love short stories. I think short stories are like the purest form of fiction 
in the world. I'm getting really getting on my, you're really going to be on our high horse for this one. Yeah. Friends. But, yeah. um, as someone who has written short stories and is also a deep diver, as you know, yeah. I've read a lot of short stories Yeah, and I've read a lot of books about writing fiction. Yes. So especially with short stories, I love it because you have so much less time Yeah. to flesh your characters out to make your points. That's always what I look for. And that's always what ends up striking me when I read a short story is any moment where you can like just laser like focus in a sentence, flesh out your character. Yeah. She is great at this. She's amazing at this. She is so good at this. Um, so I read the first four stories in this collection, which were called the fairy handbag followed by the heart lock. I believe it was called. Um, and then the cannon and then stone animals. I yes. believe it was called. Yeah. Stone animals for sure. Um, and the moment I remember reading along the fairy handbag and, and enjoying it, but there was a moment um, where our nameless narrator, she's talking about her one time paramour named Jake, who has gone missing mm-hmm. a, like subtle thread, all of these stories because they are, not quote unquote real because they have magical realism of some form in them. They're not straight ahead fantasy per se, or at least I did not encounter any outright fantasy. Maybe the heart block, which had this weird like zombie thing going through it, but it looks like the zombies, it felt like the zombies were really localized to one area. Yeah. Um, and like a great example will be like, here's an example from that story, the heart lock, the hort lack, Totally. The Hortlack. Okay. switch. The Hortlack. I ended up looking that up. It's basically like a Turkish zombie or a zombie from Turkish mythology. Mm-hmm. Um, it's these two characters. They both work in like a quickie mart. They both live in this quickie mart now, yeah. apparently. Yeah. And one of them room. always wears pajamas. Yeah. Always wears pajamas. And one time he's like working on the magazines. He's an older man. And the other employee is younger. He's in his 20s. And... For whatever reason, we don't need to get into it, but he, the old guy is trying to change the face of retail, and he's basically trying to implement a barter system. Yeah. Like, you can have whatever you want, just pay what you feel, and nobody really gets this. But he's doing the magazines, and he's got these pajamas on that basically look like they just have writing on them. Mm-hmm. And this woman comes up, and she's in the store, and she glances at the pajamas, and it turns out the pajamas are basically her childhood diary, yeah. <laughs> which she recognizes mm-hmm. and freaks out. And there will be like another moment where... like. A guy came in and he's clearly like, you know, the candy man. He comes in, he's got a trench coat on in the middle of summer and like hot enough for you. And there's this like buzzing. And then he goes to like hand or he robs the place basically. Yeah. And he robs the place when all these bees fly out of his trench. Coat. Like <laughs> it's stuff like that. There are just, no spaceships. There's no I, like, I love it's called magic for beginners. Maybe there's magic that turns up later on in other stories. Uh, yes. But again, yes and no. Yes and no. It's always this stuff where, like, so the fairy handbag is basically, it's this handbag that, like, has an entire village in it. Well, and, and exactly, that that's kind of like... And time works differently yeah, there. that's the magic, yes. right? Is And that's why when I, I really wanted to write in university about Kelly Link, but never, unfortunately, got the opportunity, um, one of the things I really thought about is... Um, why Why did she name the whole collection Magic for Beginners? Mm. And obviously that's one of the names of the stories. It's actually my favorite story in the collection. Which I enough. did not read, but <laughs> I will get to because I love this. Um, but uh, it's because all of these stories have these elements of 
fantasy and magic, but it's not like you said. It's not there. There are no like wizards. Like there are no like spell battles. Um, it's all this sort of uh, what they kind of call magic realism, um, but almost advanced. But not like when we talk about magical realism, we're talking kind of about like you know that scene in Hundred Years of Solitude where people start like flying, like yeah, for no reason, and people just kind of accept it as such. Like yes, and that that. But it's sort of like that, but a little bit beyond. This is that. on that on steroids. Like, yeah, exactly. They're technically kind of science fictiony in the sense, and just in the sense that like sh- shit that doesn't exist in the real world, yeah, exists in these stories, and people accept it as fact. Yeah, like the fairy handbag in the story, of the fairy handbag is probably the only one in this world that exists. Yes, the rest of the world totes normal, totally normal. Um, but there's a handbag that has a world in it. That's just a thing that is sort of, it's sort of like a, like a dirty family secret, right? Mm. Like it's, most people have like some incest back in their family. They have a magic fairy handbag. I'm just saying that's a dirty family secret. You, I Hell mean, of a an example family, to pull. Dark family secret you could have. Um, but that said, and this is my thing always with fantasy, any sort of genre fiction, it's gotta be about the characters. It can't just be about the idea. And this is where sci-fi sometimes falls apart on me. Cause sometimes yeah. if I try to read science fiction, especially science fiction, but sometimes fantasy as well, sometimes it just feels like the author is trying to prove their bona fides with like, I know about this thing I'm talking about. Yeah. I'm going to prove to you that I know it. So we're going to go really in depth talking about, you know, whatever that's quote unquote hard SF, right? When you yes. get into like the actual concepts and the science of it, I ain't here for that. That's not like my jam. Kelly link can like just, Here's the one detail, the the one, the first one that jumped out at me, where the narrator in the fairy handbag kind of bounces around from subject to subject. Basically, she's trying to find the fairy handbag. She has lost it. She's been charged with looking after it following the death. Was it a death or was it? We don't know. Of her grandmother, Zofia, who comes from a land that may or may not have actually existed. That starts with a B that I'm not even going to try to pronounce. Mm-hmm. It's vaguely Eastern European. Um, but she's mentioning... Jake, this guy she ends up falling in love with as a, I think she was a teenager when all this stuff uh, went down. Yeah, I believe so. Uh, Jake's mom was named Cynthia. She collected ceramic frogs and knock-knock jokes. When we were in ninth grade, she had cancer again. When she died, Jake smashed all her frogs. That's fucking, like, everything you need to know about that relationship is in, like, two sentences. Mm-hmm. That's not easy to do. No. And she does it, like, I remember when we talked about Brian K. Vaughn, and I mentioned, I call him the motherfucker, because you see him do things, it's like, <laughs> you motherfucker. Kelly Link, no offense, you're a motherfucker, too, because <laughs> I read your stuff, and I'm like, you fucker, that's good. Like, yeah. She does this again and again. Uh, so I guess I'll just kind of go through quickly with the four stories that I read. Uh, Fairy Handbag was great. Loved it. Mm-hmm. Loved the idea. Loved the characters. Loved the execution. Jake was a little meh. Mm-hmm. The narrator was a little eh. Mm-hmm. I, but I did enjoy that even as the narrator was a little eh. Sophia Zof- could tell. Sophia's a great character and she even could tell that the narrator was kind of meh. <laughs> and she's kind of like, you pain in the ass. Look <laughs> look how your poor decisions have led to this situation we are in. Yes. Um. So that was great. The Hortlack didn't didn't ever really quite get a handle on what was going on mm-hmm. there. Did not like it as much as the fairy handbag, mm-hmm. um, but did weird things. And it's almost the Hortlack and the canon kind of go together. Yeah. Because the thing about these zombies that are in, and this is the other thing, you know, short stories are great because, and we talked about this with Atlanta as well. One of the things I love about short stories is 
how they go about sprinkling details to form the world. Yes. In the Hortlack, there's a scene where, what the hell's his name? Eric. Eric is just, there's a chasm, apparently, the Ozable Chasm, which is a real place in upstate New York, apparently. Yeah. Um, and this is where the zombies come out of. Mm-hmm. This may be the only place that zombies ever come out of in this, in the diegesis of the world. And the fair. Sorry, the fair always, like, when she's describing the fair always <laughs> really struck me vividly, but... And the city is on fire. Yeah. There's a, just a mention of the city that they have. They still haven't put the, the fire out in the city. Yeah. We don't know what that's about, but it's just these little details that you sprinkle in there. And the zombies that come out always, they don't eat people. They just kind of like wander. They mm-hmm. get compared to Canadians a lot, <laughs> yeah. uh, which I enjoyed. Um, and they speak, but they speak gibberish. Mm-hmm. It's like they're mumbling in their sleep. Like you don't know what they're saying. One of the things one of the zombies says just in random passing like this the focus isn't on the zombie no eric is trying to talk to his co-worker his older co-worker about what they're actually doing here what the point of any of this is um what's up with his pajamas like all that type of stuff yeah and a zombie walks through and the zombie says my brother will be fired out of the cannon and then wanders off yep that's the first line of the next story yep so you're left to go like what what and that story, which is called The Canon, is just a series of questions and answers, which really reminded me a lot of the sequence in Cloud Atlas by David Mitchell. Yes. With oh, the android. Who, David Mitchell is one of my favorite authors, and that's one of my favorite books. Um, the scene with, if you've never seen Cloud Atlas, it's basically kind of, I think it's supposed to be like souls getting reincarnated through different periods of time, and yeah. then it moves forward chronologically and backwards chronologically. But it's not even different periods of time. It's like almost different worlds. But anyways. Kind of. Um, one of them has to do with like basically an android and like a service bot and like South Korea type of thing. And it's sort of like testimony. It's a bunch of questions and answers. Yeah. The canon is written in a similar fashion um, about this canon. Actually reminded me a lot. There's an old anime anthology. It's actually one of the first things Satoshi Kon ever did um, with uh, Katsuhiro Odomo, who did Akira. It's called Memories. This is a series of three shorts. Yeah. And the one Odomo did, which basically he did himself, um, it's called Cannon Fodder, which is just about this like, little town settlement that's entire reason for existence is firing a cannon every day. Awesome. Basically what this kind of story is about. And it's just a series of question and answers. And it's just like this one almost kind of felt more like an exercise. Mm -hmm. It just kind of felt like she was riffing and it's all really good. Yeah. And the riffing is all really good. It has to do with this cannon and people getting fired out of it. And one guy who marries it and like, yeah, that's the type of shit we're talking about with like quote unquote magical realism. Yeah. It's it's, eh, a cannon. Like, yeah. It's In like, a sense, it's as absurd as making a coat out of your tax forms, but I don't know. Maybe I just like this out of the written word more than I like some <laughs> asshole Brit <laughs> snarkily talking about For it. For those of you who don't know, he's talking about Black Books, which is an amazing series. Um, okay. All right. I'm, oh, yeah. This is kind of the feelings I had about all of these stories as well. Stone Animals? Yeah. Fucking great. Another example of like just peppering your details end of the story it's basically mm-hmm. it's a haunted house story basically yeah with rabbits um and tiny people <laughs> and tiny people and but in the, you know it's not about that it's about this family and their lives and the husband who can't ditch his job and just be there for his family because yeah. he kind of loves his job more than his family and about the wife who is pregnant and she's only pregnant because she reconciled with her husband after lying that she had an affair and all these details are alluded to early on and come out by the end of the story, the kids are super weird. And one of them's scared of everything. And another one is like 
really difficult and like and things are slowly becoming haunted in the house not the house is haunted it's that their things become haunted and they don't want to use them anymore yes meanwhile there are hundreds of rabbits on the front lawn who why are they there no one knows no one knows um and it's weird that you can make rabbits freaky but you can (laughs) it's kind of making like kind of making birds freaky yeah, a similar thing. The whole point of the birds was they were just there creeping you out. That's, yeah. Listen, if you looked down at your front lawn and had 100 rabbits sitting there <laughs> for no reason, probably freak you out. Um, and the way she works dreams into it and how she makes the things that are not, like you said, with the rabbits, things that are not technically sinister feel sinister. Maybe I'm just high on this story because it's the last one I read and I finished it like three hours ago. But <laughs> yeah, it was really good. Mm-hmm. And I'm definitely going to go through the rest of them i know you're very disappointed i did not read the title story it, which is it, that's fun i just i i have this thing where um a lot of the times i'll read the title story first in a collection of short stories because i'm always mm. interested to like why why did you name your whole collection mm. after this story um uh, but no no it, I'm, I'm glad you're looking forward to it, it it's my magic for beginners is my favorite story because she so vividly creates a world and all the edges are kind of blurred and she does it so sort of seamlessly. I, I just, I marveled at how she wrote it and how she constructed something and a feeling, um, so quickly and, and thoroughly. And I don't know. I just, I, I, I'm always impressed when someone can make a world that quickly. And a world I want to know more about that quickly. And that's, that's what impresses you. And for me, it was all about like the way she could like plop. Here's a detail about this character yeah. that totally defines them and, and their motivations. That more. probably has something to do with you being a writer, right? Mm. You are sort of really, or, or when Kayim talks about um, artists and what he admires about artists, I take a pick, a look at the whole thing, right? Um, if you uh, are talking about Saga, you know, uh, Fiona Staples' work is just beautiful. But Kayim could be like, this thing is beautiful, or this thing really impresses me. Um, for me, I just take it as a whole, right? So for you, as a writer, you're saying, well, this part of the writing really impresses me. Whereas I'm just like, I'm just marveling at these stories and what, how they make me feel and how um, they make a world that I want to like sort of dive right into and stay there. So that's yeah, I'll get really into like the minutia, even like the opening of Stone Animals. It's a character that shows up once. It's the real estate agent yeah. selling them the house. And she's constantly commenting on, she keeps like, her skirt keeps like rolling up mm-hmm. and she keeps like rolling it back down as she's talking to them about the house. Yeah, right. It was here. She's constantly rolling her skirt down. Um, she's selling the house to, uh, their names are Henry and Catherine, which is the couple in the story, Stone Animals. Um, I know it looks like we're out in the middle of nothing, but if you go down through the backyard, cut through the stand of trees, there's this little path, takes you straight down to the train station, 10 minute bike ride, the agent said. Nobody ever remembered her name, which was why she had to wear two tight skirts. Yeah. <laughs> just, just the way you can, it's one sentence, but like any writer's ability to do that and like make it register with me, you immediately like shoot up five echelons in my mm-hmm. scale of appreciation. And yeah, this was, this was great. That's great. Lerved it. Probably ended up liking it better than the thing I gave you, to be honest. Wow. Like, I definitely think I got the better end of the deal this week. <laughs> All right. So uh, what what is your rating? Uh, thus, I mean, I haven't read the whole thing, so I'm being 
I'm being maybe too generous, but yeah, stone animals especially like has me in mind that it's a nine. Ooh, a nine. Yep, I was nine kick punches for Kelly Link thus far. Wow. Fairy handbag and stone animals were the clear, like, quote unquote, winners thus far. Mm-hmm. The other two were not bad mm-hmm. by any means. They're just a little right. lesser in comparison. And that's how it goes with short story collections. Oh, right? yeah, Some of them are going to be amazing. Some of them are going to be just good. Like, um, uh, well, Neil, Neil Gaiman's short story collections. I actually like his short story collections better than his novels. I feel that about many writers, to be honest. Yeah. And, Murakami, um, especially. Yeah, uh, Smoke and Mirrors is just one of my, my favorites. Is that the one that we can get it for you wholesale? Uh, I can't remember. The guy who wants to murder somebody, but they keep selling him on murdering more and more people, and he keeps agreeing to it because it's a good deal. I, possibly. I, I think, think so. it's, if it's, it's the one that has baby cakes in it, which is just one of my favorite oh, short stories. Of, Let's of go time. back and look for that one. Yeah. Um, anyways, okay. That's great. I'm really happy about that. I'm happy you brought it to me. I tell people Kelly Link is my favorite author ever, and they go, who? And so any chance I can be like, read this, read this stuff. Um, Learn who Kelly Link is. Yes. She's fan-freaking-tastic. She's amazing. Get up on Kelly Link. Get on it now. Because if she's been nominated for a Pulitzer, they're probably going to be on her to publish some novel in two years. And then it's going to get licensed for some blockbuster movie. And you're going to be like... Well, apparently they made... There's some... I was reading up about her and they made some movie about one of her short stories. I haven't had a chance to look at it yet. Interesting. But I have wanted to... You know, one of those dreams I've had. I've wanted to, like, make a script of mm. a couple of her short stories because I just, I love them so much. But sometimes they just, I'm like, this wouldn't work as a short story. Like, I'd have to change so many things so it's coherent mm. that it just wouldn't be the same. But, yeah. Anyway, so I'm very excited about that. Um, and we can move on. Moving on yeah. to very weird. So, Kay- Kaylin had said... As we left during the last day of recording mm-hmm. a month ago, that if she wanted me to read um, the short story collection by Kelly Link, and I was like, oh, books, books are fun. Let's do books. Sure. Do I? <laughs> and she was on her way out and I like glanced at my bookshelf and was like, is there anything, I have anything that works with the sort of timber of our show that I liked enough to give Caitlin? And, and I saw Joe Hill on my shelf. Yeah. I was like, Joe Hill. I remember liking Joe Hill. Yeah. Uh, also, judging by this magic mark, this Sharpie mark on it, I believe I also got this from the bargain <laughs> bin at Indigo. $10 hardcover. Score for both of us. Um, so I, yeah, I'll give her that, and I grabbed that. Um, doubly odd, when I went looking for a copy of Magic for Beginners from the library, or to see if I could you know, pick it up on the cheap, the most recent edition of Magic for Beginners has a bonus material, a conversation between Joe Hill and Kelly Link. Do you want to hear something that is triply odd yes first story he mentions kelly link does he yes he does in best new best new horror in best new horror well then they are clearly mutual admirers (laughs) uh joe hill is a more of a horror writer slash novelist 20th century ghost is his first collection he has written novels as well uh including horns which was adapted a couple of years ago into a movie starring Daniel Radcliffe. And his most recent book was called The Fireman. He is also, to our listeners, probably best known as the writer of the comic series Lock and Key, mm-hmm. which I have not read, but I know Kayim is a major fan of. And I know many people who are not really into comics who love Lock and Key. All right. So it's, I know it's one of those things I have to get to at some point. The biggest point about Joe Hill, which I think he's fine with people knowing now, he did not really publicize at the time. He is Stephen King's son. I didn't 
You know that. that. He is Stephen King's son. He did not publicize it, I think, until he, you know, cut his teeth as a writer himself. And now that he feels he's kind of made his way on his own without writing his dad's name, he mm-hmm. has no problem with people knowing that. He's not going to change his name to Joe King, but no. um, yeah, I think probably also because he initially still does kind of worked primarily in the horror genre, which his father is the reigning lord and king of, yeah. as it were. Um, he didn't really want that publicized. So the thing about Joe Hill and the reason I wanted to give it to you and then later much as with Train to Busan, thought to myself, that might have been a terrible mistake. (laughs) Um, It's really hard for books to make me laugh, although it does happen. Mm -hmm. It's even harder for books to creep me out. Yeah. I read horror, and I read even as a kid reading a ton of Stephen King, like maybe Salem's Lot with the kid floating outside the window. Like maybe I read that a little too late at night one time, and that kind of freaked me (laughs) out. But, you know, I read a bunch of Stephen King. I read a bunch of Dean Koontz when he was writing, you know, suspenseful type stuff. Never really stressed me out. Never really freaked me out. Best new horror in this collection gave me the creeping horrors. Really? Yes. And, I mean, if you read the whole thing, I have not even read the whole thing. I've just read a handful of stories out of it. I've read the whole thing. Um, So you will probably have much more to say about this than I could even set it up Mm -hmm. as. um, As I flip forward to be like, hey, when did this book even come out? This, this book also came out in 2005. Well, imagine that. Oh, look Same at year. That. They're just BFFs, this Joe Hill and Kelly Link. Yeah, I um, know. Yeah, Best New American Horror, I remember just like, <laughs> just like, because there's nothing supernatural about it. It's no. just It just seemed no. really plausible in that in that way. Do you know about that movie Green Room? That's the best comparison I can think of oh, it wait, for the listeners. Didn't you give that to Kaim? No. Oh. Green Room is a movie that came out last year, basically about this punk band that plays a club that ends up being owned by Nazis. Oh, yeah. And they're like, ooh, we got to get the fuck out of here. Someone was telling And then about this. the owner of the club, uh, or the head of the Nazis or white supremacists, played mm-hmm. by Patrick Stewart, of all people, Fine. Um, ends up locking them in the basement or the green room. And it becomes, you know, because they inadvertently witness a murder, I think. Right. And then they kind of get locked in the green room. And as they figure out what to do with them, it becomes a super tightly wound suspense thing. I feel like about someone. About getting out of the club. Yeah. I feel like someone was talking to me about this or mentioned it on Facebook. Maybe. Possibly. It was a really very acclaimed movie when it came out. Yeah. Um, Best New American Horror. And you can get into the whys and wherefores if you want to. But definitely has that. You know, it's got that same like get the fuck out of the house like yes. feel. Yeah. Um, so anyway, these are much more. It's called 20th Century Ghosts because there are ghost stories in it. There are horror stories in it. There are... It's, it's probably on the darker side. Yes. Than the Kelly Link. Definitely. But the Kelly Link is more like fantastical, but not like dark. Yeah. There's some shit in here that gets dark. And similar to Train to Busan, I, afterwards, you know, sitting on the holidays thinking about coming back and doing this and being <laughs> like, oh man, did I ruin her life by giving her these? <laughs> we know Caitlin doesn't like suspense, but Caitlin. Yeah. How'd you dig the Joe Hill? Uh, I liked it. I did. Um, he reminded me a lot of Kelly Lang mm. um, in that he will just like have a story and present it as it is and you just have to go along with it. That is just... Does the similar thing where yeah. like details are sprinkled through, especially. It's, it's the one I know the best. I've re- I, I swear, y'all, I've, and Joe Hill, if you ever listen to this, I swear I've read more stories <laughs> than just Best American Horror, but it is like seared into my brain. And I remember just details about that protagonist's life, whether it's his ex-wife or something, like just kind of getting sprinkled well, through there as well in okay. similar fashion. So I'll, 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 because I, I obviously 
read I read it first. I'll I'll start with Best New American Horror. Um, some fun things. It it was funny because the story um, itself. So the story is about a short story, which I always love things like that. And then it turns into a, a horror story, um, which is also fabulous. I love stuff like that as well. And the story in the story, the short story in the story, um, has a predictable ending. And thankfully... She's even called out, I believe. Yes. The narrator, called, the narrator yeah. plays an editor for one of the... The editor... The narrator is an editor for one of these, like, best new American horror anthologies. He does yes. it every year. He's really burned out on it. He does not like it anymore. Well, he, he doesn't like the, most of the stories he gets are garbage. Nothing surprises him anymore. Nothing surprises him except this story that it has, it's kind of, it's partly gruesome, partly just, uh... It's kind of extreme body horror type of shit. Uh, like, kind of. It also has to do with, um, never really being able to escape, um, the, the horror of what's happened to the the protagonist right, right, in, right. in the short story. And the ending is that he's trying to find this writer to basically get permission to publish the short story mm. and stumbles into basically what is just a house of horror. It's just they're, you know, eating people and they're... <laughs> the type of place where a story like this would come out of, you will not be surprised. Exactly, yeah. And it ends with him trying having to run through the forest away from just that moment when he realizes he doesn't have his fucking car keys yes which i saw coming which uh, yeah which because he talks probably about, mad predictable in itself but but that was the point is that it didn't take away from the horror or the story because it's that creepingness that he is trying to um, evoke which he does and just the getting like the seeing the mother who he at first thinks is stretching and then realizes is naked and like chained to the bed right yep and that kind of and it actually reminded me not this story in particular but just the way he uses horror like clive barker mm. which weirdly i've read a lot of um and clive barker I, I haven't read a lot of stephen king and i'm not one for horror but clive barker because he was... He got some fucked up shit. He's got some really messed up stuff. Um, and it is... There's a little bit of body horror in there. And there's a little bit of, like, another type of creeping suspension where you kind of know what's coming. But you have to read through it anyways because you had to have to see how it unfolds. Um, so there, there were elements of that. It was actually one of my least favorite stories. Really? Um, because even though he is a master of what he did, I just didn't, I don't like the story, but now, but the fact, you know, it mentions Kelly Link, which was fantastic. Um, now knowing that he's the son of Stephen King, he talks about his, his daughter coming to these like weird conventions and like getting to play like pinball with Neil Gaiman and mm. kind of things like, I feel now this is probably stuff that happened to him. <laughs> Part of, partly his life. Yeah. Um, which is, which is fun as well. And, uh, and yeah, that, that makes it really interesting. It's an interesting story and it's well done. I just, there was sort of some of the body horror stuff I'm not as, I'm not big on mm. and that's what I didn't like, um, as much. Well, call, call out some of the other ones here that you, that you liked. The ones I have three that I absolutely adored, which is 20th century ghosts or ghosts, sorry, 20th mm. century ghost, um, last breath and Deadwood. 
I guarantee you I've probably only read, or if I did read the other two, I don't remember them. Okay. <laughs> so, so 20th Century Ghost I have a passing memory of. It's about a ghost in a movie theater yes. sort of thing. The only problem with that story is I didn't, I wasn't super feeling the ending. Again, it was sort of, it was a kind of a predictable ending, but uh, it was, it was okay. The rest of the story was like beautifully told though. Um and Again, a story where, like, if I recall, the the it's not it's not even a ghost story meant to be spooky. It's a ghost story meant to be like wistful and tragic. Wistful and tragic, thing. but there is there is there are spooky elements to it. Mm. Um, the the description of what like a true like someone's really seeing a ghost, um, and wh- and how it affects your body is that I've had that tingly sensation of something supernatural happening, and you going like. I have no way to explain this. My body hates me right now. It is a very, it is a very specific feeling and he describes it so well. Um, and just even describing the slow realization that the person you're talking to is not a person. It mm. is a ghost. Um, that kind of stuff as well. The, the talk about, um, uh, film and, um, and just mo- old movie theaters. And I loved all of that as well. That was fantastic. Last Breath is about a museum of last breaths. Okay. Um, where you can listen through a stethoscope <laughs> to someone's last. So he has like Edgar Allan Poe and he has some other famous people. Um, there's one of Roald Dahl, which they've never, which is great because um, his stuff also reminds me of Roald Dahl's mm. short story collection. And I can't remember what it's called. Um, like strangeness and so I, it was also fantastic, but it also has that same type of horror. His adult. Yes, his adult. Yes, stories. yeah. Um, and uh, which I thought was a, a nice little nod to that. And then he has just like regular people in there also. Hmm. And it just, you feel the place. Like the way he describes it, you're just feeling. It's it's basically this this couple and their kid come in and and he describes. So he, he, make, he has a line and it's basically... Um, between uneasiness and uh, social politeness, social politeness will always win out. <laughs> no matter how, like, I shouldn't be here, you're feeling, you'll always stay when someone sort of encourages you to come mm-hmm. in. Or, And that is just such a, it's such a true feeling mixed with stuff that is paranormal. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that mix of things. It, it really colors the world and colors the museum in this case. Um. And yeah, and I love the idea, or I love the idea of of hearing. Sorry, it, it's um. So he talks of the the guy who is running the museum. He is a doctor. He, he they come in and they say, "Oh, there's some sort of museum of science." And he goes, "No, no, no! It's a museum of silence. It's the the last silence of someone before they've died, the last breath, and the things you can hear in it." And for Edgar Allan Poe, if you listen and listen, you can hear. There's one word that he's trying you feel like he's trying to say and it's it's whiskey um because he's a well-known alcoholic um it's basically what killed him and that was just that whole idea is just it's so interesting Mm. and different and i love stories that are interesting and different and well done and all of that is 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 um there in just a couple short pages and then finally deadwood so it's basically how um, it's like two pages and it's like a flash fiction type thing. Mm. And that's, 
like you talked about, it's I even think harder to do. I think sh- I think uh, short fiction that is flash fiction is anyone who create create something and make it whole um, in that amount of I'm going to say time, which is really that number of words. Mm. To me, is just a genius, and shouts to Lydia Davis if you've never read her. I'm not. Or listeners, yeah, that's her whole jam. Stories that are like a page long or a sentence long. Um, and for Deadwood, it's basically this idea that trees have have ghosts. Hmm. Um, because if people have yeah. ghosts, why wouldn't trees who've been there for you know a hundred years and that they there's a little bit of like science behind it how trees that are stumps will still the roots will still pull water and nutrients out of the ground mm-hmm. because they don't know they're dead um so this sort of this idea of the spirit of trees being in place actual scientific fact spins out into yeah and and that was just that's just brilliant to me yeah anyone who can do that it is just super impressive to me a couple of these other stories um sorry i gotta flip through the book yeah write this one down it's the local locusts the locust will sing or something yes the locust will sing um it was really interesting it's basically a kid who um turns into a giant bug um it was really interesting there was a lot of like gruesomeness in that story and Mm. we all know how i love the gruesome (laughs) kate Um, loves her gore that was really neat um but it it uh was kind of it kind of represents my my only issue with these stories is I the endings. Some of the endings I didn't think fit or liked. And I think Kelly Link has the same That problem. can be, and that can be a thing from, and I think, man, that's probably the reason why short stories don't really sell that well is because a lot of times you don't get an ending. Yeah. Really. Don't go into the Kelly Link book thinking you're going to get neat resolutions no. for these stories. No. They're not going to, they're not going to end Typically, you're not going to, like, the stone animals has an ending of sorts, Yeah, but it's just stops. Yeah. The story's not done. It just stops. It just stops. And and that... And that may happen with the Joe Hill And it does well. happen with the Joe Hill, or sometimes the endings he's given them, I would rather they just stopped, mm. but instead he's given them sort of an, a type of ending, and I don't think it that could be first co- That could be first collection syndrome, too. It, it could it could be. Um, but yeah, but otherwise I really enjoyed it, and uh, and I loved the little worlds he created, and I had a lot of fun reading it. Dope. Yeah. Well, rating. Eight. Eight. Solid eight. Solid eight. Hey, yeah. for a first... For a first go out, not too bad, Mr. Hill. Not too bad. Not not too scary, not too spooky. No, no. I maybe it was because I, I there were Christmas lights on and like <laughs> Yeah, that's definitely a weird book to give at uh give the holiday <laughs> season, but But uh but yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed it. Well, Kate's got a heart out. I do. So we gotta do this fast. You do not have any updates? You do I, not I really do have updates. Oh you do have, I have okay. a couple updates. Hit an update. Um I saw Moana. You mentioned Moana. Did I? You mentioned before we went on break, you mentioned Moana. You liked it. It was really good. Um, better than I, Frozen. It was better than Frozen. Um, I saw uh, Star Wars Rogue One. So you're talking about Rogue One. You talked about Rogue One earlier, so I assume you saw it. Uh, I did. I did see it. Punk um, rock or New Wave? Uh, it's fine. I mean, I know the ending. I know they didn't shy away from the presumed ending if you knew well, nothing. I didn't. I didn't realize it was going to hit up right next to A New Hope. Mm. Like it, like right, and like handing the plans to Leia. Like. Yeah, like right there, which was amazing. It was actually that was fantastic. And when you watch A New Hope o- 
over it, there are sort of little clues about the story, mm. which was, I think that was really... That was a great thread to pull out of A yeah. New Hope. Like... Oh, fantastic. Um, but there are lots of things I didn't like. I hated the CGI. It totally popped me right out of the story, which was really frustrating. Alan Tudyk was amazing. Um, I finished Luke Cage. Great. Was not ex- really expecting that ending. Um, I'm interested to see how he yeah, gets what's going to happen there. But jail? anyways, um, I'm trying to think what else. What else did I do? Oh, I saw Mr. Right, which is uh, what is it? It is a not very well known movie with Anna Kendrick and guy from Moon. Uh, what's his name? Sam. Sam. Something. Yeah. And he was also played... Um, <laughs> He's an Iron Man, that dude? Yes. That guy. Shit. I don't know his name, but anyway. But he that movie was fantastic. It was very reminiscent of Seven Psychopaths. If you have not seen that, you should. Um, and I really enjoyed it. And it was ridiculous and bizarre and funny. And I loved it. I remember something else I watched. Because uh, listen, when you spend your time in a small town with nothing to do but watch... All the things. All the things. I'm going to get through them right quick. Go real rapid fire here. Saw the new Godzilla. Okay. Uh, the one co-directed by Hideaki Anno mm-hmm. of Neon Genesis Evangelion fame. It really feels like a Neon Genesis Evangelion type of thing. Okay. Um, a lot of people are like, it didn't have enough Godzilla in it. Godzilla movies are never about Godzilla. It's about the no. people. Yeah. And about what Godzilla represents. Uh, this one really had a problem with bureaucracy. Okay. So it'd be a lot of like, it was edited really weird, and I'm pretty sure I had some, the jankiest of subtitles on it. So <laughs> when a more like official sort of version comes out, I'll probably rewatch it. Yep. Um, Godzilla comes from the sea and hits the land, so you have a lot of bickering between the government about like, well, whose problem is it? Like, everyone. Is, is this a sea problem or. It's a giant dinosaur. Who is going dragon. to take ownership of this defense matter sort of thing? Um, still really fun. And, you know, there's one segment in the middle where Godzilla just wipes the floor with every military advance <laughs> on him, which is like, yes, Godzilla's tired of your shit. Um, saw the nice guys. Yeah. Took some time to watch that coming off my Shane Black high of Kiss Kiss, Kiss Bang Bang, which yeah. I rewatched on over the holidays. Fantastic. Super fun. Uh, nice guys. Good. Not as good as Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Okay. Good did, to know. Did like it. Did kind of have, to an extent, a bit of a paint by numbers feel and did not think, well, funny, not as funny as Kiss Kiss, Kiss Bang Bang. Uh, watch a documentary called Tickled, which you may get at some point. Have you ever heard about this? No. This is about a journalist from New Zealand who does the sort of viral video end of the news show program stories like, and today on the internet type of thing. Oh, okay. And he comes across this video of a competitive tickling league. Oh, wait, I did see the thing for this. Friends, watch the trailer to this and then find it somewhere. It'll probably be on Netflix in like two weeks. Yeah, um, I don't know where I saw the trailer for this, but I did. And yeah, he finds this thing, competitive tickling league, where like one guy gets strapped to a bed and other dudes, they're all like in their early 20s and other dudes just tickle him to see how long he can take it. Yeah. And but the then it gets is, real dark. The journalist is like, well, that's my next story. I'm going to message these people up. They're apparently put out by this company called Jane Bryant Media. And he DMs them on Facebook or whatever. It's like, hey, I'm a journalist. Here's my name. Here's what I do. I'd love to talk to you about this, do a story on it, blah, blah, blah. He's declined a request for an interview because... Basically, and I'm somewhat paraphrasing, but not really, they don't speak to faggots. <laughs> oh. And they oh. don't want their thing associated with that. And he's like, well, that's weird. <laughs> and he's going to just leave it be. But they keep emailing him again and again, going at, you know, because they've looked him up and apparently he's an out gay man and they are going at his lifestyle and the set and the other thing and sinful and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, well, 
that's kind of bullying, and I don't like bullies, so let's look at this. And he decides to do a documentary about it, and it gets crazy weird. Super weird. You can just tell that from the trailer. All about these, like, tickling videos. Like, my <laughs> my dad came downstairs while I was watching it, <laughs> and he kind of gave me this look, and I paused it, and I caught him up on everything that was happening. And he would hear things that were happening about these lives being ruined yeah. by this Jane Bryant company, and he'd be like, "It's for a fuck, who cares? It's just a tickling movie. I'm I'm like, exactly. Who cares? Yeah. People's lives are being ruined for this. And why? Yeah. Um, it is a totally batshit bizarre story and is still ongoing. There's stuff still happening after oh the God. movie has come out. Um, all my stories wrapped up for the season. <laughs> right. Uh, Your Aunt Ice ended. Did you what? Did you watch it? You're caught up? Did you watch the whole season? I didn't watch the whole season. I um, have two episodes to go. Ended with possibly the promise of a second season. Ooh. The last thing you saw was a title card that said, see you next level. Ooh. Hey, who knows? We hope. Um, Magical Raising Project ended nah, kind of how you figured it would. Okay. Is that a nah, kind of ended how you, they're anime, right? They ended how yeah. you thought it would. The biggest thing we have to talk about, and I'll do it as quickly as possible, and I apologize to the listeners in advance because it's probably going to get a little deep. Caitlin, how much do you care about high school volleyball? Uh, none at all. Neither did I. And then I went out for a social outing with my lovely friend, Colloquially known as the kid, we we're gonna do some Christmas shopping. Mm-hmm. We're gonna come back to the crib, mm-hmm. watch some watch some anime. Yeah, she is also a giant weeb. As with most weebs I know, if you ain't watching Yuri on Ice, I will make you watch Yuri on Ice. Yeah. So she was coming back here to watch that. She had said earlier on, "I'm actually I really got into sports anime too." Knowing what I know about, really, I only get the the IGN group on Facebook is kind of like my how I take the temperature of fandom. And I know this show is super popular. So when she said, "I've really gotten into a sports anime," I said. It's Haikyuu, isn't it? And she said, yeah. Haikyuu is the high school volleyball anime. Okay. What the fuck do I care about high school volleyball team? I don't know. What do you care about high school volleyball team? I care everything about high school volleyball <laughs> team. Oh, my God. It's three seasons long. Yeah. I've watched it all. Oh, my God, Jordan. <laughs> I binged the third. Third season's only 10 episodes. And I'll get to you why the third season's amazing in a okay, moment. Right. Basically, it, it's the shonenest of shonens. And to that end, you will probably never get it. Because as the shonenest of shonens, it has all the yelling. Uh. All the yelling. Nobody has an indoor voice on this show. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody. Because 90% of the show, they don't really have... You don't even really see their lives outside of, like, the team. Um, do they have families? Do they have parents? <laughs> we don't know. You just see them playing volleyball. Um our main character is this kid, Hanada Shoyo. He wants to play sports, but he's super short, and he doesn't know what sport suits what? him as yeah. a really short guy. And he sees the boys' volleyball team of his local high school, Karasuno, on TV. They're playing in the Nationals, and they are led by this super short player nicknamed the Little Giant. So he can jump super high. Who cares if you're short if you can jump that high? Right. Hanada decides, that's my jam. That's what I'm going to do. Doesn't have anybody to play with. He practices with, like, old ladies in the rec league, <laughs> things like that, just anywhere he can get some practice in. And he gets a junior high team quotes together out of, like, friends who play, like, soccer. They have no volleyball experience, but right. he's just, like, he can't be in the tournament unless he gets a team together. So he gets a team together and gets his ass handed to him, but he can still jump really high enough right. that the other team is like, holy shit, like, right. what is that about? But he has no technique. He's got no skills. He's got nobody to really practice with. And the team that kicks his ass is led by this guy kagayama kagayama is the setter this is the one that the brains of the team right the right. one who sets up the shots the mm-hmm. one who's like i'm gonna boom, boom, pop it over here so the spiker can whoosh, smash it down yeah he's also a total asshole and like a dictator of course um and because he's a shonen protagonist at the end of the match hanada's like 
oh, I'm going to get better. And the next time I see you, I'm not going to lose type of thing. It's like, okay, this is his nemesis, whatever. Hinata goes to Kagaya, to Karasuno, the high school that he has chosen to go to, which has now fallen. They are no longer the powerhouse school they weren't, they once were. Their coach has left. People call them the flightless crows because they were all black. Like they just, they totally like collapsed. Walks in and to his surprise, Kageyama is also at Karasuno. So now they are teammates, not nemeses. And they can only really work together. They develop this like the godlike quick, a quick attack where basically it's just like a setter, boom, pops. I know way too much about volleyball now. (laughs) The setter like, boop, pops it up and bam, down immediately. Like it's too fast for a defender to react to. Right. And they're like godlike. They're so fast the way they can do this. Most shows would probably be just like, all right, that's the jam. Every character gets like something to do. It's a team. Yeah. And it just feels like this show does it really well or like far better than I was expecting. And Mm -hmm. listen, I don't watch team sports anime, so maybe they all do this. I don't know if this one does it exceptionally well. Maybe they all do it this well. And I'm in really a lot of trouble if they do. (laughs) Like. Because I haven't watched Slam Dunk, I haven't watched Kuroku's Basketball, like, I've never walked, watched any of these, and I'd heard about Haikyuu forever, but again, what the fuck do I care about volleyball? Like, it's directed so well, and when they go off, just, like, wailing up to hit that spike, you're like, get through, get through, get through. And they're not, they're never portrayed as, like, the addition of these players. Right. Make them now a super team. They still lose, they still get by by the seat of their pants type of thing. But every character, like, one guy becomes really good at blocking, one guy become, one guy who doesn't, you don't even really see him in the first season, but he's low-key been working on his serve in the background. Mm-hmm. So then in second season, he's brought in as a pinch server and hits, like, five aces just because he's been low-key working on these serves. You're talking gibberish now. I, I don't know. know what I you're know saying. I am. The third season yeah. is one game. Oh. It's the tournament finals it's one game it is on some game of thrones battle of the bastards type (laughs) shit where it is like it's five sets and the pacing is just i remember being like that pacing is insane like what it's 10 episodes on one game that is so stupid girl i never even noticed (laughs) i didn't notice i didn't care and when you see like this is the only show that has ever given me a husbando what's that asahi the third year senior. Yeah. The little goatee in the man bun. Yeah. Kind of fires up McKinsey scale a little bit. <laughs> okay. That not, whole sentence was not, just amazing. Not going to, not going to lie. I, the show has turned me into total anime trash. I don't know how it happened. Like I just love them all so much. And Asahi, you saw, he's the ace real soft spoken, but like super powerful. Looks kind of cozy. Looks kind of comf. What am I getting home a little better? <laughs> I don't even know what to say. I am so trash for this show. So that was my, my biggest takeaway of the holiday season. I can't believe I fell in love with Haikyuu this much. So You are tr- a trash bag. A total, total anime. This is like the most flagrant anime trash I've ever been. But like the kid was appalled. Like She got maybe like seven episodes in and she was mm-hmm. like, this show's great. A week later, I was like, are you caught up? Like I'm on like episode 23. Like <laughs> This is like Food Wars. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm on second season. She's like, what? This is exactly like Food Wars. Like, I'm on like episode 11. I'm like, yeah, I'm halfway through second season. You got to catch up. I need somebody to talk to. Come on. Chop, chop. Let's go. <laughs> let's go. Let's go. Anyway, that's Haikyuu. Oh, dear. That will never come up on the show. But listen, if you if you are down, I was like yelling at Kaim last night. I was like, <laughs> if you love Shonen's. <laughs> Get on this show. Uh, so that's... Can't can't geek down any harder than that, I don't think. No, you can't. So on that note, probably wrap this up. 
If you would like to get at us for any reason, you can do it on our socials, which are at GeekdownPod for pretty much everything. Or you can get at us on our Facebook group, which is at www.facebook.com forward slash geek down pod like we never missed a step people um you can tell us what you think we should watch next you can talk to us about the episodes you can talk to us about other short fiction we really like anything you like reach us there we will try and get back to you as soon as possible and just as a heads up kate and i are probably going to be meeting in the next couple weeks to uh you know talk about the show going forward what we can do to make it better and whatnot and we may rely on y'all for that as well might be some uh you know optional polls you can take we get a better sense about what y'all like about the show and what you don't. Is it too long? Do you want more chit-chat, less chit-chat? Would you like less talking about volleyball anime? I don't care. <laughs> can't help myself. Shut your faces. <laughs> um, that yeah. sort of thing. And that will be the place where you can find out about that. I really need to be reined in on the Twitter because that's where my inner weeb just really comes out. <laughs> like, if you follow me on Twitter, you would have already known how, how the IQ love was developing. See, maybe the, maybe I should get Twitter just so I can keep tabs Kate, on you. Kate needs to take back the reins of the Twitter account. <laughs> but anyway, so good to be back. Happy New Year, friends. Kate, Happy New Year. good to see you. Fireworks. I'm so glad to be back, and we hope to see you guys next week. My name is Jordan Ferguson. And my name is Caitlin McKinnon. And we will be back with you. We won't leave you again, friends, I swear, next week for another episode of the Geek Down Podcast. See you then. Your insurance, pre, you know, you got your insurance. Jordan doesn't know how insurance works. <laughs> uh, it's because we don't have any because we're poor. Nettie considers it a form of gambling. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's all right.